Hey, welcome to the Morning Mic Check. I'm Pat Brown here with Mike Metzger. Mike and I have known each other for a while now. I first met him around 2010, and he's become one of the key mentors in my life. Over the years, we've had countless conversations, and in almost every one, I've walked away having discovered something new. Mike has this unique ability where he can reframe a conversation, and you begin to discover a deeper reality around you. It's a bit like Alice tumbling down the rabbit hole. I'm releasing these conversations as an invitation to follow me as I go down that rabbit hole. Good morning, Mike. Good morning. How are you feeling this morning? Well, you know, you don't want to know. It's, it's, it's what you do early in the morning when you wake up. The first thing you do when you have pollen. So let's just mm. move on. <laughs> well, I'd like to talk about feelings this morning, Mike. I'm in a very feeling You feel mood. like talking about that? Yes, I do feel like talking about that. <laughs> oh, okay. You know, I... I Obviously, uh, we've talked, I have children, I'm in this like parenting phase of life. So I think about that journey, but I also see this elsewhere. But there's there's definitely a notion as parents that we are to, you know, embrace our, our kids' feelings. And I think I've, I've seen this in other parents, I've sensed this in myself. I don't, I don't want to ex- extinguish my child's feelings and I want them to know that their feelings are, 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 are okay. Um, but we see that also as adults. I think uh, there's there's another kind of cultural wave that goes. You know, your feelings are true, and you should uh, embrace your feelings. You know, that kind of thing. And mm-hmm. you know, I, I find myself as I as I've had these conversations, actually, just without really thinking about it, uh, find myself saying things like, "Hey." this is how I feel. I'm, I'm not sure that's the right way to feel, but that is, that is how I'm feeling. And I, I, maybe, maybe that's in line, but I feel like that's quite counter actually to what we're told today, which are, you know, your feelings are true. Hold on to them. And there's, there's been this natural self suspicion of my own feelings that frankly, I think has come out of some of our conversations, but I don't think we've explicitly talked about that. So yeah, I want to talk about feelings today. What do, what do you what do you make of that? Is that uh, is there something to that? Well, I I myself don't feel like talking about it, and um, <laughs> my feelings trump your feelings. So, all right, in the classic Greek word "booyah." <laughs> okay, well, let's take. Hey, listeners, we're going to take a long time on this because we don't feel like it now. Stuff. Enough, enough. <laughs> so um, it helps. Part of, I think, if, as a believer, if you want to widen your imagination, read good fictional literature. And one of the uh, writers I've always enjoyed is Flannery O'Connor. And most people are not maybe familiar with uh, Flannery. She uh, grew up, uh, lived her entire life in Midgelville, Georgia, family home. Um, she passed, uh, other than going to Iowa for an Iowa uh, writer's workshop for a period of time, she was a, it's a very famous workshop. And um, she passed away at the age of 39 um, from lupus. Um, she was a very devoted Catholic. And her final public address was at Georgetown University in 1963. And in that uh, address, she said this, the things we taste and touch and feel affect us long before we believe anything at all. The things that we taste and touch 
and feel affect us long before we believe anything at all. I think that's a good way to frame. What about feelings? And uh, <clears throat> so I would suggest this. James K. Smith puts it nicely in his book, um, several of his books. But uh, we don't think our way through life. We feel our way through life. The things that we, therefore, that we taste and touch and feel do affect us long before we believe anything at all. In fact, what's fascinating is um, when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's the order in which it works. The way. What do you think the way is? Because early Christians were known as, they were called the way. What do that? What do you think the way refers to? Yeah, I guess I always, uh, I always looked at that as you know the, the the path to heaven. I'm the way to salvation, or the way to resurrection, e eternity. Well, that's good. That's good. The path. Yeah. So, what do you do on a path? You usually try to stay on it. <laughs> and you walk, walk it. on it. Yeah, yeah, you walk on it. Do you feel the path? Sure. Sure. In fact, one of the most uh, heart-wrenching scenes you can ever read is in Nancy's book on lepers when they tried to create artificial feelings because leprosy is a loss of sensations and uh, lepers would, uh, if you don't have that pain sensation, they, uh, they would create these artificial ones that were not adequate and lepers having restored their broken ankles would go right out and break their ankle again and uh, walk on the end of their tibia or whatever it is, destroying mm. bone and ligament and flesh because uh, they couldn't feel. So God in this amazing, and I think this is the heart of what we want to talk about here is let's just take the first, the first human, Adam. How do you name the animals? Uh, yeah. Uh, feeling. feeling with them. Yeah. Yeah. And um, it says after he felt them all, played with them, um, he just he couldn't put, he couldn't give words to it, but somehow something was missing. It reads there was not a helper found suitable for Adam. There's nothing in there that says God says, now Adam, you didn't find a helper suitable for you. What he left Adam with is this sense of. I feel something is missing. And he went to bed sleep. He woke up. <clears throat> this is evident because he wakes up and he sees Eve. Now, again, if you have a scandalized conscience, you can't handle what's actually happening. If you don't have a scandalized conscience, he wakes up and he naked sees a naked woman. Uh, Sex Ed 101 would say, what happens next? <laughs> yeah, there is a, I'm sure, a physical reaction. A rush of feelings, primarily in your loins, which is why the Bible says, gird your loins. Mm. Watch over them. Mm. And the loins lead, in this case. We've joked about it before, but there's no manual over there. Six <laughs> biblical principles for nuptial union. 
Um, so because of that, they're leading with their feelings, their flesh. This is why it's called historically an enfleshed faith. This is why one of the catechisms of the ancient church reads, the flesh is the hinge of salvation. It's the door into salvation. And this is why we read, the word became flesh. And this is why actually Paul, in uncovering this great hidden mystery, says, our body is for the Lord. Our flesh and blood body is for the Lord. And the Lord's body is for us. Well, that's a, that'd be a conversation for the next time. But here's, what, here's where we're heading. If we lead with feelings, and our feelings are developed by the flesh in a good way, notice how Lucifer brings about the fall. It goes after Eve's flesh. Yeah. The flesh he desires. Yeah. The Lord said we should not touch or eat this. Did he really say that? Well, he didn't. He didn't say he couldn't touch it. He said he couldn't eat it. The knowledge of good and evil. Knowledge is presented beginning in Genesis 4.1 as a nuptial union. Adam knew Eve and she conceived. John picks that up and that's why he says this is eternal life that you may know Jesus. Noah is in nuptial union. Feel him enter you, penetrate you. So, Lucifer goes after her flesh. Now, this isn't let's pick on women uh, mourning. Never thought about wife, why uh, Eve? See, Adam was responsible to pass on this prohibition to Eve. Harvey didn't, d did, didn't seem to be particularly good, but why, why would Lucifer go after uh, Eve rather than Adam? He's going after both, but why Eve? You know, I, I haven't put much thought into that. Well, I feel you maybe you ought to. <laughs> uh, simple. Adam depicts mm, as Christ. Isaiah writes, yes, Christ. God, your, your Lord is your, your creator, is your husband. Well, Adam's already, Lucifer has already done battle with uh, Christ and lost. Eve depicts the bride. Hmm. He hasn't done battle with the bride. Take down the bride, you take them both down. So he goes after them. They take them both down. Fault is not Eve's. Fault is... Adam and Eve, and he goes after their flesh. So where are we going with this? It's often said the three great enemies that a Christian ought to think soberly about because Lucifer prowls like a roaring lion seeking to devour someone's flesh. Three great enemies are called the world, the flesh, and the devil, but that it's a slightly out of order because if there was no devil, there would be no lies because it says he is the father of lies. So you can often think of it this way. God is love. So if there's no God, there's no love. God is light. There's no God, there's no light. 
God is kindness. There's no kindness. There's no God. There's no kindness. Lucifer is the father of lies. If he didn't exist, there'd be no lies. So everything you would feel would be true. But because the father of lies exists, our enemies are Lucifer, the devil, the flesh, then the world. In other words, Adam and Eve fall and the world falls with them. And so Lucifer, our, our enemies are the devil, our flesh, untrained flesh, hmm. and the world. Now, what's the world going to whisper to you? Well, I hate to say it, but I think Christopher, uh, I mean, uh, Christian Smith in Notre Dame is right. The prevailing model out there, the gospel, he calls moralistic, therapeutic deism. Moralistic, God loves me, he wants me to be happy. Therapeutic, my feelings are what matter. Deism is God is sort of a concept. Mm -hmm. Now, dia and the, the therapeutic is important in this regard. Your feelings are genuine. That's not the point. I hate someone's guts. That is a genuine feeling. It's also straight from the pit. Hmm. And hence, therapeutic takes what is genuine and believes because it's genuine, it's good. Yeah, that that's a, that's is a good difference. lie. Yeah. You know, the uh, St. Francis of Assisi has this famous prayer, which is perhaps he didn't say it, another brother did, but here's the prayer. O Divine Master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand. Grant that I may not seek to be understood as mm -hmm. to understand. What's that mean, Pat? Wow. I'm just, it's, it's so contrary. Uh, what does it mean uh, to be understood? requires someone else you know taking action and uh yeah maybe changing but to understand requires listening empathy you know a sense of personal responsibility yeah it starts out it's it would start out with um you know Catherine and I are happily married it would mean the first step would not be you don't understand what I'm feeling, but rather maybe I don't understand what I'm feeling. Right. I should seek to understand. Right. If, if both are seeking to be understood, then it's, you might not go anywhere. You're not going to go anywhere. You would, yeah. but what you're going to unwittingly fall for from the father of lies is you're going to fall for lies, um, which generally, if you generally speaking, if you can stop long enough to listen, is you put words in the mouth of the other person. Yeah. Man, so true. So, you said you want to talk about feelings. Feelings are great. Adam and Eve felt their way along in their lovemaking. And because of that, 
they came away. I was a betting man. I think I bet everything on this. They came away and said, that was good. <laughs> In fact, let's do it again. And because of that, they felt it was true. So the sequence, human nature-wise, works this way. Beautiful is what teaches us is good, is what teaches us is true. Here's the irony. Maybe we'll close with this. We're big fans of Ian McGilchrist and buried in the mammoth opus book, The Master and His Emissary, he notes how the Greeks invented the definite article and they put it in front of beautiful, good, and true. And it became the good, the true, the beautiful, which is backwards from the Bible. Can you imagine you and your wife having a lovely meal and at the end of the dinner you say, honey, that was the good. <laughs> you bring home some flowers and she goes, oh, thank you for bringing. They're so the beautiful. McGilchrist's point is when you put the definite article in front of good, true, and beautiful, you turn it into an abstraction. Once you have an abstraction, you're no longer your words have left any connection to reality and um, the father of lies loves to do that he loves to have people have fights over words which have lost their meaningful connection to reality and so when someone says you just don't understand me those words have lost meaningful connection to reality because that's not the point of life or my feelings are general general i mean uh, they're genuine and so, therefore, they're good, therefore, they're true. Mm. And you say, well, those are true feelings. Not necessarily good. And if they're not good, they're not beautiful. They've lost their meaningful connection to reality. So we do make our way through life feeling our way along. But those feelings have to be trained, is what Lewis C.S. Lewis rightly said, as he talked about the little monsters, the little kids, their feelings have to be trained. And so when we affirm kids that you feel a certain way, you actually run a major risk that they'll grow up feeling, yeah, my feelings, that's the trump card. It wins everything because they have to understand first how I'm feeling, then I will listen to them. No, not straight from the pit.